You're listening to Reinvent Ideal, dating and life advice for men. So you struggling though, you need some help? The wisdom you need when you're depressed and no one cares because you're not a chick. Well, we're all enjoying our day. We're going to lose 12 men to suicide today. Your weekly red pill prescription. It's a place for unguarded conversations to investigate with a council of men the riddles of life. With Cairo Copeland. There is a great skill that once possessed, it will propel you through shitty jobs to an amazing prestigious career that is the envy of your peers. This skill turns a timid prospector into a successful salesman with a spine of steel. This skill will compel the shy, inexperienced nerd to power through countless rejections and failures without sparing a moment to sulk and emerge on his way to becoming irresistible with getting the women he wants. And this skill is emotional intelligence. It's not taught in schools. I wish it was. It's desperately needed. This is what will allow you to overcome the great adversity that you will face, not just from others, but also from yourself. Your own frustration and fatigue is going to be weighing heavily on you on this journey. Now, emotional intelligence may be defined as the owner's manual for a human mind, or more jokingly, It could be referred to as the study of why smart people do stupid shit. But what it is, is it's the ability to overpower emotions with rational thinking rather than let them overpower you. Think of every horrific atrocity ever committed. Things that are as isolated as domestic abuse and then things on a national scale like school shootings that make the news nationwide. What these are is these are the results of immature emotional outbursts. Each of the perpetrators in all cases, lack the ability to regulate, uh, the ability to analyze and call into account their emotions. And these outbursts can even be as mild as shouting back at a customer service representative over the phone when they give you bad news, or mistreating a server at a restaurant, or kicking over a coffee table when your team loses. And these outbursts, even in the most mildest form, are an immense turnoff. So the first mindset I want you to adopt is Say to yourself each time, what happened has already been decided, but what to do about it is still for me to decide. You don't always get a choice in what happens to you, but how you react to what happens, that's something that is always your choice. And two examples show this principle very well. These two stories come from coaching clients that I had in my practice as a dating coach. Now, the first one was a guy that messed things up for himself real bad, and it was just the end of the line there. He was out picking up this one girl for a date. They were going to a game, a college football game that was out of town. They had to drive a good 100 miles to get there, and his car broke down in the middle of it, and he lost his temper over it. He had lost his temper so bad that he he takes his sunglasses off his head, and he breaks them on his knee. And the girl sitting next to him in the passenger seat, she was so terrified and so turned off that she ghosted on him shortly after that. Don't be this guy. Don't want that to happen. Because she was in fear of, you know, not just, is, is he always like this and it's going to be a bad day, but she was in fear for her life. This is what makes it a skill that you need to master. You don't want to be someone that people feel like they have to walk on eggshells around. Now, on the flip side, another coaching client of mine, his name was Ethan. He had a girl uh, drive over to see him. Her name was Whitney. They had a nice dinner, a few laughs together, even a couple of makeout sessions. He was hoping that uh, he'd be getting a little bit more out of that date, but he was still a little shy and timid, didn't want to push his luck. So Whitney was going to take off back to her house 
which was quite a drive away, but halfway down the road, her car broke down. So she phones him up in a panic and is spewing out emotions like fire, like a fire hose on the loose. And she's saying the usual things like, oh, why is this happening to me? I can't afford this. I've had enough shit happen to me this week. But Ethan remained cool, calm, and collected. He told her that he'd be there as soon as he could, and he'd check it out. So he drives up to where she's parked on the side of the road, and he retains his composure the whole time he's there, even though she's a total mess. He pops up the hood, checks the dipstick, makes the determination that the car just needs oil, so they drove off to go get some. Now Whitney's still in emotional disarray, but him, he's in complete control. Many times he wanted to shout back at her like, hey, bitch, get a grip, get a hold of yourself. But he kept those thoughts to himself. So what they had done was they filled the engine up with oil, let the uh, car rest for a little bit, let it take the oil, and then it started running again. And he told her, let's let it rest for a little bit longer. And they did, and she proceeded to make out with him more and declared him her hero. She even flat out told him how impressed she was with how he kept his composure and that was turning her on. So an important lesson needs to be taken from this. Your car may not break down on a date, but you're going to face great adversity in your pursuit of the woman of your dreams. And spoken from those with experience, you are going to be disrespected more than you have ever been in your life. There'll be times when you'll be led to believe that your feelings are of no concern to anyone. There'll be moments when even suicide seems like it'll be a more merciful path than continuing to push towards your goal and your hopes and dreams. So what you need to do about this is take inventory and control and ultimately responsibility for your emotions. And that is what's going to get you through this. Taking responsibility for your emotions is realizing that it's not other people who make you feel a certain way, or things that happen to you that make you feel a certain way. The actions of others only have the power that you allow it to have. When it comes to being angry and outraged, that's a choice too. As you see, if somebody insults you, what they're doing is they're just hurling words at you, and words only have the meaning and the power that you give it. Now, if something bad happens to you, that still only has the meaning and the power that you give it. Emotions are not biological diseases that plague you down like the flu and you can't do nothing about them except take some bad tasting medicine and go into exile away from the world so you can heal. Emotions are merely a collection of influential thoughts that can overpower you, but you can also overpower them by countering them with other influential thoughts. The trick is to ask yourself, during a moment of emotional turmoil, ask yourself the following question. Are these emotions that I'm feeling really necessary? Now, this does not mean masking your emotions or hiding how you truly feel. I do tell a lot of guys to hide their pain from the woman they are with. Never let your woman know that you're in pain. And that'll be a whole program episode on its own. But I think that a more intelligent way to handle that is not necessarily hide your problems or your pain. You, know, you can't get away with that for too long where she thinks, oh, he, this guy never has any problems. But be very careful with how you choose to express that pain. If you can express it in a way that does not indicate that you're in pain, then there's nothing unattractive about expressing it. He has control of his emotions when what he wants is even denied. He's never blaming the woman or retaliating the rejection with insults. The rejection doesn't shatter him, but rather the rejecting words shatter upon him like glass against the stone wall, leaving no sign of any impact. So the first stop 
in emotional intelligence is learning to control your anger before it controls you because this world gives you a lot to be angry about. So that's mindset number two. Anger loses its power the moment you accept reality. In the pursuit of women, you're going to be made angry often. They're going to flake on you. They're going to ghost on you. They're going to reject you left and right. It'd be very tempting to give in to your rage and direct it at them, direct it at the world, and even direct it at yourself. So wrapping the reins around your anger is a vital first step. Now, what's the first source of your anger? When a girl rejects you or a promising date flakes on you or a girl that you really thought you connected with ghosts on you, what is really happening here? Well, what happened is your mind had hopes and expectations, but reality is now conflicting with those. The source of all anger and sadness is the discrepancy between our preferences and our reality. And these negative emotions, they cause you to have a closed-off posture. You can catch yourself doing this when you're folding within yourself or even going into the fetal position. It's the body's reaction to the situation and defense mechanism to protect you physically from the external world that's hurting you emotionally. So try to notice this next time your feelings are hurt. Look at how your posture changes. No matter how legit the reason, you have nothing to gain by feeling down and depressed. The secret here is to accept reality. When negative emotions arise, you gotta ask yourself, you know, who am I to set expectations of other people? Yeah, I have my preferences for sure of how life should be and how other people should behave, but is it really productive or healthy to expect anyone, let alone everyone, to fall in line with these personal preferences of mine? And as you're asking these questions of yourself, you want to hold your body in an open posture, taking up lots of space. Uh, look in the way that Superman looks when he's uh, standing. You want to stand the exact same way he does. This stance actually relieves stress and boosts testosterone on a molecular level. So fighting the physical symptoms of being hurt will reduce the feelings associated with the hurt. Now, when you're physically hurt, like a cut or a scrape, um, you close in on the wound because uh, you're trying to care for it, but touching the wound can enhance the pain. Even in a nursing manner, it causes you to wince. And the body is closed while doing this, already prepared for pain. Thus, the mind magnifies the pain to a greater level than it otherwise would have felt had you ignored the wound. You may have uh, experienced this once, where you discover a wound that you don't remember getting, but it has been there for some time, so it no longer hurts. We want to do the same thing with our emotional wounds. Throughout any event in your life, two little pieces of it form its entire composition. There's the event itself and your interpretation of it. Now, for the last piece, you get a choice. You can interpret the event as something awful and unacceptable, or accept the new reality by realizing that you're bigger than whatever problem is dominating the forefront of this reality. Because the fact of the matter is that if life takes a shit on you, it just takes a shit on you. The emotions expressed as a result of it do not change it. But you have the choice to say how bad that shit stinks. Understanding that what you think about the most and what you put the most focus into will expand and appear greater in your head, this understanding is going to really help you. The problem can appear to be overpowering and bigger than you. Now, it's a tough pill to swallow at first because we're conditioned to view failure as something fundamentally bad from grade one. If you came home from school with an F on your report card or an F grade on your test, you'd likely be in trouble in both school and home. But we're not in school anymore. There's nothing inherently bad about failure unless you allow it to be so. Now, the social imperatives, the cultural conditioning that we've all been through, they're back in the picture here. They're pushing a winner's mentality on you. You gotta win at all costs. Win, win, win. Nothing else is acceptable. 
like if some goal is attained or if everything that you set out to do is achieved, well, then everything under the sun will somehow be better. It's bullshit because the goal post keeps moving further away with everything that you accomplished. Even if you reach one, you notice another one farther away. Once you've slept with an eight after a life of fives, the eight is now your minimum standard and nothing less is going to do for you. To settle for anything less is going to trigger a fear that you're missing out, and the fear of missing out is the cause of so much anxiety in our lives. And you see, that fear is triggered by a desire which causes the most pain. It tricks you into thinking that you need it to materialize happiness. A constant musing of the desire is a continuous reminder of the thing that you do not yet possess, and feeling miserable now feels justified. The only way to fight this is to focus on what you already do have and feel grateful for it. And that brings me to the next mindset. I wish there was a way I could get all you listeners to give me a show of hands or something, because here's what I'd ask if I was on stage or something. Show of hands, how many people want to start feeling happier and a lot happier right now? I guarantee everybody's hand is going to go up for that. Well, there is one thing that you can start doing right now that will improve your life right away and make you a happier person right off the bat without much effort. It will inspire a person to be more honest, more generous, more kind, and everything else that's good without making them sit through a single sermon on morals. And I think it's also the cure to so much pain that is inflicted on us when we lack something that we desire. And that's mindset number three, gratitude. Searching for gratitude will immediately inspire happiness. See, there's something magical about having a realization of the longing you'd experience for so many of the things you already have if you were to lose them. Look at everything that you got right now and think to yourself, man, how much would my life suck if all these things disappeared right now? It's a new form of humility to say, I've been blessed a lot already. I'm big enough now to take a few shots. This is how I can say that there isn't a single happy person on earth that is ungrateful. And there isn't a single good person on earth that is ungrateful. Think of it like this. If a person is grateful, what reason do they have to do anything that is evil? Only those who are ungrateful are good at coming up with justifications for their evil deeds, their wicked actions. Not to get all sermony and like act like a preacher here or anything. But it's what allows people to feel entitled to something. And having not received it, they use that as justification for doing something bad. This goes for feeling victimized by life while ignoring the blessings of it. It's no coincidence that ungratefulness is always accompanied by anger. It's, oh, I didn't get my way and now I'm pissed. A person uttering this hasn't taken a moment to look at the things that they do have and express some gratitude for it. And it plays into a very powerful tool that can be used to jumpstart your gratitude, and that's negative visualization. In order to put this tool to use, what you do is take inventory of all the good things that you do have in life. Maybe it's your job, your relationship with your parents, or the fact that you have your own car, or the fact that you have your own place. All right? You have in your own place, that's a pretty big deal. You can walk around without pants on and nobody's going to say anything. You got that incredible freedom. Now, picture your life without that. Imagine if you were to get fired or lose your parents. Someone steals your car. Someone burns down your house. 
then your life's in disarray because something that you've counted on being there for so long is now gone and there's a huge void. Now sure, the beautiful women you see everywhere are a reminder of the fact that you don't have one of your own. That is, if you're a single guy and struggling to get girls to like you. And that highlights a particular pain that you feel because you desire one. And then the pain is made worse when these women reject you. But realizing how lucky you are to even have the eyesight to see them, that makes worrying about what women will do to you or worrying about them rejecting you, that makes it it's a very trivial thing to worry about for that reason. Another positive side effect of negative visualization is that doing it will even prepare you to better handle losing something if it actually does happen. You've already thought about how you would feel if you lost your car. You've anticipated the emotions. Now, your emotional outburst, if you do have one at all, is less intense than it would be if it were a completely unanticipated shock. And the same goes for when you're being dumped by a girlfriend. While it may still hurt, well, you've had a premonition of how you'd feel and can now feel it on a less intense scale. Like the scary scene in a horror movie, the scariest scene that it has if, if you'd seen it already before in the trailer, it has less of an effect when you see it and the actual, when you go to see the movie in the theater. You see it on the same screen, in the same scene in the feature film, but it has less of an effect on you because you've seen it before. And whatever her reason is for dumping you, she'll certainly be intrigued by how well you're handling the breakup. Now, many practitioners of gratitude prefer to express it in the morning before the day kicks off, so they have the day begin on positive notes. That's a good idea. They sometimes write about it in a gratitude journal. That's a good idea, too. Or get down on the side of their bed and offer up a thankful prayer to the heavens. Now, however you do it doesn't matter. Just see to it that you're doing it. It's also important to be grateful spontaneously throughout the day as well, particularly in those difficult moments when a harsh reality is hitting you. Try to get you into that closed body posture. In moments like these, the weapon of gratitude wields incredible power. Because you don't just accept reality, but be thankful for it, even when it's a shitty reality. See, you can disempower shitty circumstances by being thankful for them. And here's an example of that. When you have an encounter or an interaction with an unpleasant person or a total asshole, instead of getting triggered and jumping into a pissing contest with them, just look up towards the heavens and exclaim, Oh universe, I thank thee for giving me this wonderful teacher of how I should not behave. And now I know that I will be a much more likable person after today because I won't be like this person. If even only half the world population held that reaction to every asshole in the world, the world would eventually have a lot less assholes and probably even be void of them. The pursuit of positive experiences is by itself a negative experience, because with it you're working hard to attain something you lack. The focus is all on what you do lack. But the converse is also true. The endurance through negative experience is by itself a positive one, because you can only go up from here. Things are just never going to be perfect, and if they were, life would be pretty boring with nothing to do. And there was something that one of the old Stoics had said, I think it, it was either Seneca or it was uh, Epictetus, is that we can't ask the world to be void of rude people and assholes and just unpleasantries altogether. Because if it was void of that, that world would more so serve the people who would commit such atrocities more so than it would serve the people who would suffer because of those atrocities being affected by them. If you can just learn to enjoy the journey as if the destination was already reached, then you can still be happy even if the destination is disappointing.
It's focusing on making more friends and memories along the Yellow Brick Road rather than getting to Emerald City because you know, who knows, the wizard could be a fraud. Number four, managing expectations beforehand can reduce the intensity of negative outcomes. And this is a big part of stoicism. Negative visualization to preempt these unpleasant emotions or reduce their intensity is one of the practices that the Stoics took on. They have a practice where they attempt to experience negative emotions before their cause actually occurs. While seeking the company of women, you want to do this too. This is another powerful tool for you to carry in your belt before you go out to meet women or before you go out on a date or to do any approaches or attempt any closes, what's a good idea is to bake into your expectations what could go wrong and how you would feel about them. And this practice not only allows you to be less distraught when things don't go as you hoped, but it also allows you to be more delighted when they do go as you hoped. A pleasant surprise becomes far more pleasant, and when the negative experiences are taken into consideration before they occur, the bar is set at an initial low, and you feel relieved from the pressure, the stress from expectations. They call this expectation management. It's recommended because it will allow you to take on a more effortless acceptance of reality. And this is not to be confused with worrying, but rather wargaming. And on the bright side, things will seldomly go as poorly as you anticipate them to. Now, how about an example of things not going as planned? How about an example of something going wrong when it was expected to go good? Now, there's one I can think of right off the bat that a lot of guys go through. See, many guys report that they've set up dates and the girls agreed to them, but when they try to be romantic with the girl on the dates, they're turned down with the phrase, Oh, uh, I didn't know you felt that way about me. Uh, I'm sorry, I just don't see you that way. Oh, I didn't know this was a date. They pull that shit. So I'm telling you to expect the worst that can happen. Expect uh, the worst like this. And it's not to say that this will happen, even though in some cases it definitely will. This is simply to encourage you not to be hoping for a particular outcome. So before each date, imagine the worst case scenario possible and premeditate on how you'll feel and handle the situation. And then the other lesson to learn from this is whenever something is not going the way you want it to, just walk away. Just get out of there. When someone pulls something like that and says, oh no, I didn't know what you mean. Or if uh, you get on the, the date and you try to make a move and she's like, oh no, no, I, I swear, I, I didn't like you like that. And I didn't know that that's what you meant. And, you know, I didn't know that you meant for this to be a date. Walk away. Get out of there. It's crucial for your self-respect to leave in those situations. Just be like, oh, okay. Well, I'm not interested in anything else. So I'm going to go home. Goodbye. Nice seeing you. Have a nice life. And that's it. Walk away. A fifth mindset is to have two inner voices. There's no bully that's more vicious and heartless than the inner voice that's in our heads. It's going to tell you things like, oh, you're not good enough for her. You're too fat, too awkward, too ugly. You work a loser's job. Your car's a piece of shit and your dick is too small. And it's also a master of coming up with excuses. It's going to tell you things like, don't go talk to that girl. She won't like you. She probably has a boyfriend. Uh, she looks like she's a bitch. And then it's also a saboteur. It says, oh, uh, don't go any further with her. She'll get creeped out. Don't tell her how you feel. Don't tell her how you really feel about her because she'll never talk to you again. When the inner voice arises, here's what I want you to do. Imagine the following scene in your head, a courtroom drama. Now, it's rare to find one that's not dramatic. A particular good one, one that I like, is uh, from the movie A Few Good Men. You have that iconic clash between Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise. It goes down in film history as one of the greatest scenes ever acted. 
Now imagine the same setting in your head when your negative inner voice spats off at you. You picture that inner voice as Jack Nicholson on the witness stand. He's the old and ugly authoritative jerk on the witness stand. But then to your defense is Tom Cruise, and he's the younger, more charismatic of the two, and he cross-examines the inner voice with very penetrating questions that will make him fold. So you hear your inner voice say something like, Oh, you're just unlovable. It must be the case. But your defense says, why must what you say to my client be so? Well, it just has to be. Look at the girls that have ghosted on him. Well, he's had some bad luck with a few girls that have no brains and bad taste. But who's to say it must be so? I say so. And on what authority? Is there any evidence that what you tell my client must be so? Well, the evidence is in all the flaking and ghosting that's happening to him. Again, bad luck with girls. There are alternative ways for viewing each of these situations. There are rational thoughts that can substitute for these irrational ones. What other evidence do you have? It can keep going on and on, but your defense will win in the end because there is nothing rational and solid to back up the allegations of the inner voice. Because notice that the inner voice starts off using words like must, and this word can be a deadly poison to the mind, as it insists that there is simply no alternative. Musts will make it impossible to accept reality. Phrases like, I must do well, they must treat me with respect, or life must always be pleasant, the girls must like me. All of these musts leave little room for anything else to occur, and there's no flexibility in this. There's a great writer, Dr. Albert Ellis, who just rips this thinking to shreds. He calls this line of thinking, masturbation. You see, you have no choice into the matter of what thought pops into your head, but you do get to choose how you react to these thoughts. Negative self-talk is present in every person, but entertaining the thoughts without disputing them is only what makes it more powerful. Now, the social and emotional education you were raised with was likely inadequate to conquer this inner voice, and that's because this education was passed down to you by a small group of people that had a similar mind and likely didn't know how to conquer their own inner voice. Now, ideally, it should have started as early as possible, the process of this social and emotional education, but it can be started at any time. It's never, ever too late, and it begins with addressing the absolute and unconditional musts that your inner voice is telling you. You see, they're just like the social imperatives that I'm constantly railing against. They're passed down to you by your most trusted advisors during the most impressionable ages. It's your parents, your teachers, pastors, mentors, etc. Only repeated experience from within this social environment will you be able to override the faulty programming that they gave you. Now, when these agreements are deeply considered or analytically peeled apart and penetrated, it becomes easy to see them for what they really are, and that's bullshit. It's unrealistic hopes. It's just things that we'd prefer, but we surely can't go through life expecting because it's only going to lead to disappointment. And these bullshit beliefs are, everyone must agree with me. The approval of others is a must. I'm not worth a shit until somebody loves me. I mean nothing to this world until someone says otherwise. I will only succeed if I am great. And when I fail, it means I'm nothing but shit. People must put forth their efforts to please me and get along with me. If they don't, then they must be my enemies and their whole existence is damnable. What is true to me must be true to everyone. When you look at the angriest people alive, or the people that you, you just want to avoid because they bug you and you feel as if you have to walk on eggshells around them all the time, they're the people that have these statements running through their mind repeatedly throughout the day, and their inner voice is constantly saying this to them. It creates this false reality in their lives. 
and they believe that every event they encounter must unfold in a certain familiar way, like I did uh, with uh, my date at the beach. The discomfort to variation grows, and the ability to be content with what comes about by the reign of randomness, it just dies and disappears. So you need to remove the absolute demand from your inner voice, and those are the words like should, must, and have to. Instead, you want to recognize that people are going to behave however they choose to behave, even when we believe they should not behave that way. And we need to have newly created mindsets that just liberate you from the inner voice and the masturbation. You see, no one and nothing can make you feel any way at all because only you can control how you think. Now, here are some new thoughts for you to load up into your mind, like ammo into a rifle. I would like to be respected, but if I'm not, I can still have a good life. Permission from others is not needed for it. I would like to have affection, but if I don't get it, I can still have value as a person. Permission from others is not needed. I don't like to be criticized and corrected, but if I am, I can take it. Permission from others is not needed. I like to succeed when I put in the effort into something, but it's not a constant condition for my life to be happy. I would like to feel validation from others, but I can still live a good life without it. I would like girls to be open and receptive to me, but they don't have to be for me to be happy. There are far too many of them to waste time on a few. This can be one of the most difficult things you do in this journey. That's give up your past beliefs. See, the mind has found comfort in these beliefs and senses danger without them. Imagine the following scenario. You just won a all-expense-paid vacation to Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Sound excited? Uh, I don't think so. Especially when you look at the itinerary for the trip. It's going to be touring cornfields, hayrides, and milking cows at the crack of dawn. That doesn't sound very fun. But suppose somebody offered to pay you $10,000 for your ticket and place on the trip. The uh, trip itself entirely couldn't cost... Uh, more than 1500 bucks. Yeah, that's if you're flying first class. So why would this guy want to drop $10,000 on it? You guess that there must be more to the trip than what the itinerary says, like, I don't know, naked flight attendants and unlimited blowjobs at the hotel you're staying at? We think there's something valuable to it now and are hesitant to take the offer. Now, the mind works the exact same way. Just like giving up clothes you haven't worn for years. You could easily donate them, and there are people that are probably in more need of them than you are. But you fear running into a situation someday in the future where you wish you still had them. Well, the reality is that after giving them up, you won't miss them at all. You'll forget that you ever had them. And these past beliefs that are shitty beliefs that can be dropped like unnecessary weight, they're tough to let go of as well. Because you've thought about them and you've owned them for so long that you don't know what your life is going to be like without them. They were a comfort to you, like a security blanket. But I want you to anticipate the inner voice will do all it can to make new ones to take their place once you drop them. And you got to prepare yourself for that. See, just because it never shuts up, that doesn't mean that you have to listen to it. You got to recognize the inner voice for what it is. It's just doing its thing, like an annoying little seven-year-old. A seven-year-old can say some pretty shitty things. But does anybody ever take them seriously? Of course not. Most of the time, the best response for them is, Well, thank you for sharing, Sonny. Now go to your room. I want you to treat your inner voice in the exact same manner and say it as condescendingly as possible. Now here's what I want to leave you with. See, even though this emotional intelligence is a superpower and it's going to make you incredible afterwards, your life is going to improve dramatically, or it, it can improve your life dramatically, I don't want you to think of it as an immediate fix. This is what to expect, uh, going along with expectations management. This is what you can expect when you're practicing emotional intelligence. The more you attempt to practice it, the more difficult situations life will seem to throw at you 
to test it. And this is simply the result of awareness. Now that you're aware of your emotional reactions, you find yourself having them more often. But you probably aren't having more of them than you did before. It's just that before you didn't notice them because you just let them happen. The thing about life is that it never gives you exactly what you ask for. It will only give you the people, the places, and the situations that will present an opportunity for you to create for yourself what you ask for. If you ask for patience, you're going to find yourself hitting massive traffic and every red light on your errands. And if you don't get it at first, rest assured, life will find another opportunity to give you a testing situation again. The more emotional intelligence you seek, and the more you attempt to practice it, the more intense your negative emotions will feel. And this is because, for the first time ever, you're attempting to fight back against something that you've let run amok your whole life. Like Neo's awakening in The Matrix, or from The Matrix, and he's asking, why do his eyes hurt? And he's told, you've never used them before. The ability to exercise control over your emotions and urges is a muscle that must be broken down and torn apart to be built back up. So expect this to be a difficult process with lots of growing pains. But remember to celebrate when you experience this pain. It is the prelude to future strength. Remember to practice gratitude. Your inner defense attorney doesn't become a great one overnight. He needs many trials to become the king of the courtroom. Rejoice when this pain arises, because the more you catch yourself experiencing intense negative emotions, the better you get at catching them yourself. And that is it for us today. Hope you found today helpful, and if I can be of more help to you in any way, send me an email at cairo at reinventideal.com. That's cairo at reinventideal.com, and I'll make you a deal. If you leave me a review on this podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and send me a screenshot of that review to Cairo at reinventideal.com, I will send you a copy of my book, The Drama-Free Relationship, How to Tame and Train Your Girlfriend, for free. This book is for when you're in a relationship, but you want to make sure that it stays pleasant, that she doesn't start causing drama and constantly testing you and pushing your buttons, that she remains someone who pleases you. I'll send you this book 100% free if you send me a screenshot of your review of this program. Please remember, the bull gets blocked right here because I am my brother's keeper and I got your back. Thank you for listening to Reinvent Ideal with Cairo Copeland, your weekly red pill prescription. See more at reinventideal.com. Don't be simp-pathetic. The 12-step program to slaughter the simp within. Do you feel powerless around the women you desire? Are you suspicious that the women in your life are just using you? Are you the one that always pays for everything and does all the work while getting nothing in return? Help is finally here. Never again do you have to feel like you must prove what a great guy you are to get the girl. Go from being a chaser to a chooser with these practical strategies and tactics. These new mindsets and behaviors to adopt will save you time, money, and energy. In this book, you will discover one powerful skill that all males must learn, but very few will. Why women don't like giving guys. How to resist the urge to always pay for everything. How to avoid being seen as willing to be used. A shocking truth that will change your interactions with women forever and the not-so-obvious way to make her chase you. All included in the 12-step program to eliminate the urge to supplicate and simp within. Get your copy today at reinventideal.com simp.
reinventideal.com slash simp.